Are you tired of spending hours sharing and sending offers to likers? Introducing Posher VA, the web program that will save you time and increase your sales. With Posher VA, you can automatically share your closet, send offers to likers, and schedule your share times all with just a few clicks. Using code ELDUCHO, you can try Posher VA for two weeks for free, no credit card required. Posher VA is not just another program, it is your program. Say goodbye to manual sharing and hello to even more time in your business. Try Posher VA today using code ELDUCHO, E-L-D-U-C-H-O. Welcome to the Flip the Script podcast. I'm your host, Denali, and I'm a full-time reseller on eBay and Poshmark. My store and closet name is El Ducho, E-L-D-U-C-H-O. You can also find me on Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube as El Ducho Thrift. I'm very excited about this week's guests. I had the opportunity to interview a reselling couple who I've been following on Instagram, and their names are Shay and Tyler. You can find Shay and Tyler on Instagram under the username in my 30s spending under 30 and all of their information will be in the show notes of this episode for you. Shay and Tyler were introduced to the reselling community via coupons. A love of saving money and getting deals led them to their first flip and a love of entrepreneurship led Shay to pursue it full time. Shay has recently transitioned out of full-time reselling, and both Shay and Tyler are trying to find their new normal with it being part-time, but one thing they are certain about, they still love reselling. So without further ado, let's get into the episode. Hi, Shay and Tyler. Thanks for being on the podcast with me today. Thank you for having us. I'm super excited. I'm super excited. You know, I was DMing with Shay probably was it like a month ago or something and you guys were on another podcast and somebody had like or typed in one of your Instagram stories that were you going to be on flip the script and I think I responded back to it because you tagged me in it or I just watched your stories I can't remember what it was and then you asked are you bringing back the podcast (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, maybe. And I, yeah, I said, I'd love to have you guys on at some point. So I'm glad that this day has finally arrived. So exciting. It's definitely my wife that you're talking with. The (laughs) the worst kept secret of our journey in reselling is that my wife does all social media at all times. (laughs) That's so funny. You know, and that's the, that's the tough part with couples who have shared accounts is that you're like, who am I talking with? Who is this person? I think I usually imagine maybe it's, you know, the wife, but then again, it really could be anybody, I suppose. So I guess you got to keep it neutral, right? Can't talk bad about the other person, right? Exactly. Unless they start. Well, I guess to just jump right into it, my first question for you both is tell me about yourselves and what led you guys to becoming resellers. So I guess I'll start here because I kind of dragged him along with me, <laughs> but reselling was kind of a, we fell into it type situation. I always wanted to do something for myself. I wanted to work for myself in some way. My dad always worked for himself and I kind of always thought like, that's going to be my journey, but I wasn't able to kind of figure out how to do that. So I did a ton of different jobs in every department. 
And at one point in time, one of my jobs was coming to an end and I was looking for something to do where I didn't have to go back to a nine to five. I found the couponing community on Instagram, which was mm-hmm. very relevant. And they introduced me to Poshmark. The, the community out there was posting about it all the time. And I was like, huh, I wonder what this is. And I went there and figured out, oh, I can actually make money off thrifting that I already do full-time reselling for three years, which was really, really great. And I still love it today. But Tyler, on the other hand, just kind of got dragged into a thrift store one day. I remember she sat me down. I was doing the couponing with her and it's a, a joint activity because you have to race to the store for <laughs> all of the the glitches and different things to capitalize before they're sold out. And <laughs> she sat me down and said, I would like to try this. And I had never been in a thrift store at that point in my life. And now I can't imagine not going to a thrift store on a regular basis. So it's been... It's been quite a whirlwind. My wife is wonderful and personally driven and something that I struggle with. So it's I'm happy that she has found it and it's not something that I'm having to drive. But no, it's it's been a wonderful, wonderful thing. That's awesome. I, I mean, I can relate to what Shay was saying about always wanting to own your own business. I think it was something that maybe a lot of resellers kind of just have that thought in them, but you don't know how to get there. Right. I mean, like I wasn't going to, I'm not going to invent a product. I know that about myself. So it's like, how am I going to create something that I can share and sell to others? And reselling was that thing. It's magical, but I wanted to go back to Shay, what you were saying about the coupon community. How did you stumble into that? Because I know that there was this moment in time where the coupon community really peaked, I would say in mainstream media, I feel like there, there was television shows. I don't remember if it was like TLC or what channels they were on, but it was like a big thing. And you'd go and you'd see people stack all the different coupons. And sometimes at the end of it, the person at the register was handing money back to the person. So how did this get introduced to you and how did you start doing that? Um, So for me, I actually did this sounds funny, but I did Instagram as like, um, I don't know, we did like little deals for different things on Instagram and had built up like a personal Instagram where I did brand deals and stuff. And from there, one of the other people that was doing similar things from that um, actually posted about like a coupon deal. I think it was, I want to say it was Kohl's. They were um, having a makeup deal. I, I'm pretty sure that's what it was. And I went and just was like, you know, I'm going to see, I'm going to see like if I can get a deal that, that will actually like save me money. And I went and figured it out and it ended up actually being my first Poshmark sale because once I got it, I was like, I actually don't need this much makeup. I don't know what to do with this. So that it kind of led, led me into Poshmark. And I believe that was my first ever Poshmark sale as well. It was, you got actually paid to just to buy makeup for yourself. (laughs) That was a moment for me that was like, this could work. If we could do this more, there is something here. And the rest is history. (laughs) And what year was that? So it was four years ago. So let's see, we're in 2023. So it has to be 2019, 2018, somewhere in in there, I think. So it's been four 
four and a half, five years, somewhere in there? It's been, it's been, it's been about four years because we started our YouTube channel at the same time. And I went back right before we did this podcast and we've been on YouTube for four years. So it's been about four. Okay. Got it. So it, when you started couponing the resale part of it, sounds like it started at the exact same time. I mean, maybe not it, like within minutes, but it sounds like it was, you went, you sourced this makeup that you got for a great deal. And then immediately your thought was, or what you had gathered from the coupon community was now we flip it. Yes. So I'll be honest. I am not a patient person. And if you do the couponing community at all, you'll realize you need to be very patient because you need to build up these coupons and you have to kind of map things out. They had spreadsheets. There was a lot going on. And after my first like foray into couponing, I realized I'm not going to be able to just do this forever, but there's going to be something I can do with what I have. And that's where I kind of like looked around and found Poshmark. And I'm like, this is way more my speed. I don't need to build up all of these spreadsheets and coupons and deals and formulas. And You don't need a complex math degree to to be able to go to a thrift store and find find things to flip exactly and that that just works way way better yeah yeah I get what you're saying I mean I think you know again at some point in the past 10 or 15 years I tried my hand at couponing and I definitely wasn't good at it and I would say what I what I learned is that there's maybe certain states that are more coupon friendly than others because what I never really grasped or maybe certain stores I should say that are in certain states what I never grasped was the whole stacking coupons do you know about that can you explain that to me because I'm curious so I don't know a lot about it because I was very bad at it but you are okay. able to but every store had a different set of rules on how many you could stack and if it would if you could stack manufacturer as well as retail there was all different rules and I just could not keep track of all of them and some stores would say you could stack and then you'd go in there and they're like actually no you can't our, our system doesn't allow it there's certainly some level of boldness that is required for couponing <laughs> that that neither of us really have because you have to stand toe-to-toe with the store manager sometimes and almost have an argument and cause a scene in the store which is uh, not our our forte yeah no I get it I I and I think you hit the nail on the head there Tyler you do have to be able to stand your ground and kind of push through and know the rules better than the employees who are working there which is not fun it's awkward and you feel like now you've I don't know yeah is it worth it for this two or three dollar item way way less confrontational way less of anxiety for both of us to just resell and buy things and, and flip them on Poshmark. It's a, a much smoother transaction across the board. Right. So when, at what point, I mean, you sold the item on Poshmark, the makeup that you guys had purchased from Kohl's for a really good deal. You know, when did it click for you to, I don't know, either sell items from your home or even or and even venture out to the thrift store to start flipping items from the thrift store. So that was actually pretty immediate. So I had already always bought everything I own from a thrift store. I had never really been the type that went to the mall. I'm not really a fashion person, but everything I owned was from thrift stores anyways. So I was like, the next time I went, I was like, I wonder if I could find anything in the thrift store while I'm there that could 
be flipped for a profit. And I wasn't very good at it to start by, by no means was I good at it because I didn't know brands. And I, as I said, I wasn't really into fashion. So I really didn't know what to look for, but it was kind of like my first effort of just kind of going, seeing if there were any brands I thought were good and started there. Um, I didn't have anything in my home to flip because really I, I didn't have nice things. I, I never bought things for myself. So there was very little things that I had in the house. So it was mostly right from the thrift store. Well, to be fair, you did have a few pairs of made well free people and page jeans that you picked up for yourself. And we didn't even know until yeah. years later. Didn't, you, didn't even read <laughs> after the fact. I think for me, it was very much a getting dragged to the store to be a supportive husband. And I had a very limited list of brands that she had mentioned that I was on the lookout for. And I, I very much enjoyed the scavenger hunt aspect of it. I, I like the, the search through the racks, which I didn't expect, honestly, it's not something that I was, that I knew about myself, but it is addicting. And it's just, you always, you want to go to the next rack and you want to find the next thing. And it just builds on itself. Yeah, I get what you guys are saying, especially as I resonated with me about not being very good at it at the beginning, right? I feel like that was me as well. When I decided that I wanted to resell clothing, I had always resold other things, but it never really occurred to me like, oh, clothes, like that could be a moneymaker. And similarly, not a fashionista over here. So I didn't really know what brands to be picking up. You know, at that time when you guys started, what were you picking up? And, you know, was it taking you longer to sell those items? And is that when you kind of realize like, oh, maybe this isn't the sort of stuff people are looking for? Um, so we started in clothes. So what we're still doing, um, but it was more mall brands and things that I'd heard of before. I seem to remember that James Purse might have been like the first brand that I picked up and I'm like this is this is a money maker and not to say that it's not a good brand to sell but I was so excited I thought that I had hit the lottery I was like this is the brand it's going to get me everywhere and free people we believed was like never going to be found again it was a unicorn and the the one time we found it we're like this is the only time we will ever do it we were so excited we like had a party about it it was it was a lot <laughs> a whole moment I think for any new find, for any new brand and clothing specifically, especially starting out, it was very hard to balance the cost <laughs> with what you were actually buying because it was just the first item, which is never the item that you want to find. It's just, it's the first one that you happen to see. And pairing that with the the higher price and, and knowing your numbers going into it, it's it's kind of a an evolving puzzle. Yeah. to start with. So that evolved, but what we actually sell stayed the same while we did niche down on categories a bit. It's still clothing. So we, we did kind of stay where we started. I wish we could sell more DVDs because it's the easiest category to sell basically ever. I Just mean, yeah. And it's so small that I mean, I it's slightly breakable, but in a great case, it can hold up. Yeah. It's the best category to sell. Unfortunately, it's very competitive in our area. <laughs> Mm, got it. Got it. Well, you mentioned that Tyler said that he had a brand list that you built for him. <laughs> you know, I, I have to imagine, like you said, early on on that brand list was probably maybe more mall brands and, and it's evolved since then. I'm curious, Tyler, did you 
in your searching through the racks, did you start to add to that brand list? Did you discover brands that you were able to go back and maybe teach Shay? I, th- I think there was a, a good bit of that because because I didn't know anything. I basically went w- went in with the mind of just looking everything up until I had a, a baseline. So every single tag was looked up when I first started. And it's a very slow, very tedious and a very boring process, but it did did help expand the knowledge because there was so many brands that we would never have found otherwise just on accident and different categories within brands. I think I just picked up a made in Ireland sweater and looked up and go, yep, that's going in the cart. So <laughs> it, it very much is a back and forth. We both try to to outdo the other person with finding new things. And, and my wife beats me all of the time. <laughs> I remember at the very beginning, he was at one of our first ever bins trips, he was there and he was looking at a big jacket. And I remember him showing it to me going, this is a very ugly jacket, but I know you told me to look at ugly jackets. Do you think this is worth anything? And it was an overland jacket. It was worth, I think we ended up selling it for around $150. And wow. it was just so because he he recognized it he just didn't know the brand itself but it was just so funny to see him pull that out of the bins of all places yeah I mean you know there's that rule of thumb it's like ugly or we can call it unique (laughs) unique (laughs) items sell right it's like exactly you know it's funny it's the things that maybe people aren't thinking to pick up in a regular store but people are looking for it online and who knows how or where they're wearing it (laughs) Exactly. I think I think the biggest part is don't be afraid to look things up in the store. If if no one else has picked it up and taken the time to look at it, they could be passing on it, and it's it's your opportunity to take advantage of that and find that there is a buyer for that item. Yeah, and and on that note of looking things up in the store, I couldn't agree with you more on that. That's just something that I think people learn over time to become a best practice but for you when you were starting out where were you looking up comps I mean were you looking on eBay Poshmark Mercari where were you going to for me anyways I don't know if it was different for Tyler but for me I was always doing things on Poshmark and that's recently evolved but everything was kind of being searched on Posh because that's the the platform I started on and that's kind of what I was comfortable with and I was learning brands from everywhere which I don't recommend necessarily definitely filter where you learn your brands Um, but I was learning them from everywhere so I would start putting things in that I was so excited about and then I would look at it and it's like selling for ten dollars and it was it was a very long learning process quite a learning curve there I was thinking or I seem to remember being very bad at that and if it was not Poshmark it was probably just typed into Google and looking at the top first page because I'm simple like that and just going, this isn't worth a lot of money to find out that it's not because I don't know how to run comps. <laughs> no, I get it. So you said you were learning brands from everywhere. I, what do you mean by that? I mean, are you thinking like in the reseller community, like you were seeing other people post about different brands or were you looking online or in magazines? Yeah. So when I started, I was mostly trusting other resellers, whether that meant on Instagram, whether that meant on YouTube, I was in Facebook groups. I mean, I was in everything. And I thought if someone said it sells well, then that must mean it sells well. 
And I didn't really put much more thought into it until I had some bad buys and realized maybe I shouldn't just blindly trust and I need to (laughs) do a little bit more research. And so I started now, especially now, I started kind of looking at either brands that I know and checking solds and filtering to different styles or categories dependent on what you're looking for and kind of doing my brand research on the platforms versus on the community. But at the beginning, it was kind of like, oh, this person is doing really well. They must know what they're talking about. And I would just take it for face value. And that wasn't, I would not recommend doing that. But I think for that, it's it's not necessarily that they're misleading you actively. I think that there is just an, a misunderstanding because they have the the knowledge of what specifically to pick up in that brand that they have not mentioned. So it's just you're missing part of the puzzle to fit together. So they just gave you the brand. They didn't give you the brand with the style in a dress or pants or whatever the category is to sell well. Yeah, I get what you guys are saying. And I think also there's there's an element of geographic (laughs) that comes into it. Whereas, you know, when I first started and, you know, I was consuming content online from other resellers and I would hear people say, brand names that I'd never heard of. And I thought, you know, they would say, oh gosh, this sells for so much money. And so when I was going to the thrift stores, I was looking for those brands, right? I'm thinking, okay, focus on these. This is what that person said to get. However, those brands just aren't popular where I live or they weren't at the time. And so I was never finding them, but yet at the same time, I think I was passing up on a lot of great things that were plentiful in my area. You know, I, I'm in Washington state, so we have more cold weather than somebody probably in Florida, for instance. And so, you know, brands that they might not be able to find their coats and jackets. I have a lot of up here. (laughs) I mean, did you find that as well? Was that something that, you know, maybe there was just brands that you heard of that it's just like, we're not going to find that here because that's not the, population of people that live in this area or geographically yeah I mean the first brands that come to mind like would be revolve brands I find that those are more popular you know California places like that we we barely see any of that here and that was something that was like I need to find these they they sell great I mean revolve is just such a good website to find so many different great brands and they're just not here but like, for example, Brahmin um, is a purse brand that I literally never heard another reseller talk about before we found one. And it's local to us. It's in Massachusetts. And we were finding them all the time. And I didn't know that they were good. And I finally picked one up. And I'm like, oh, I, I need to be <laughs> grabbing like that. That is definitely something that we need to be grabbing. So I think you picked up an ugly, beat up, hideous yellow, <laughs> like highlighter yellow Wrist, wristlet wallet that sold within a few minutes for like 50 bucks you're like oh pay attention to that yeah now. i actually think i listened <laughs> the car from the thrift store and i was like i'm just curious like i wonder and yeah it sold for like 50 dollars in minutes and we realized like oh okay so that's because we're in massachusetts that's why we're seeing this one all the time we should probably pay attention to what's around here versus just what people are telling us because they're not all local not everybody is local no matter who you follow So that was a a good aha moment for us. Yeah, no, that's a great one. And I actually think it's worth Googling 
you know, clothing brands in insert state name here. I've done that before because then it kind of gives you an idea of what's available in your area. Because I think a lot of times we don't realize, oh, that's actually, like you said, your story, for example, with Brahmin, that's a brand that is produced here and maybe they have an outlet center nearby and that's why I find so much of it. Or people just like, you know, they have more home stores here, whatever the case is. And so you're going to end up finding more items. You know, I'm wondering, you, you guys mentioned that it was kind of 2019, 2018 when you started doing the couponing and you started reselling. At what point did you decide, hey, this is going to become a full-time thing and did it become a full-time job for both of you or just one of you and then another one joined how did that you know journey evolve no so our our for us I started full-time almost immediately so I was working at a job where I was consulting so I was just winding down a project when I found couponing and transitioned to reselling and I did that full-time right off the back. So I'm like, you know what? I don't want to go back to work. I want to, I want to stay home. So I just kind of went into it. I was very lucky to be in a situation where I had enough money saved up to do that. And so I just did, and it didn't start off, you know, on fire right away. It took a lot of building, but it was, it was really great to be able to have the freedom to do that. Now, Tyler did not get to come home with me. That just wouldn't have worked, especially the way we started out. And we, and I only maintained full-time for three years. I did transition to part-time just recently. So it was definitely a, you know, build up, especially during COVID and then kind of a, a wind down a bit after COVID ended. And so what was the decision in that time of the three years reselling? You know, what was the decision to transition back and go to part-time? Well, I mean, honestly, for me anyways, it was it was getting to a point where thrift stores were getting more expensive, which they're still doing, and mm-hmm. we weren't able to find the inventory we needed to hit the next level to scale up even more. You know, as people will say, you need to list X amount of items per day. Everyone has a different number, but we weren't able to get to that next number. And I, I did the whole sourcing every single day. I've tried going to multiple stores every day. Um, there's not a lot of stores in our area. I'd probably say about maybe 10 would be within a two hour drive. So it was, it become, it became a point of, I'm not able to scale this up. I could probably switch to trying to source online and mix it in, maybe get pallets, but it just mental health wise, I was starting to feel the pressure of can I do this? Am I going to be able to still pay my bills? Is this going to still be enjoyable for me? And we decided that it would be better if it was a part-time thing versus a full-time thing, just becoming too overwhelming at that point. Yeah, I think my my side of it is I saw that my wife was running into a bit of a wall. It was, it was turning into a grind where you felt guilty taking a day for a day off or vacation or you you just were always on the move trying to do that next thing because you needed that otherwise you wouldn't get paid and while that is commendable you have to take that step back and i think going back to being part time is freeing you up to have less worry about the whole struggle to keep keep your head above water 
Yeah, I get what you guys are saying, especially about the enjoyable part, right? Because I was talking with somebody in one of my recent podcast interviews, and they had mentioned that, you know, anything that you turn into a business that started out as a hobby will eventually become a job, right? And when we think of something as a job, it's generally... I don't know. It's not always the most, you know, positive word, right? Because it's, it becomes essentially a chore. When we think of a job, it's a chore and you do lose a lot of that. I think when you become a full-time reseller, because now you're relying on this money that was side income to suddenly be paying your rent, your mortgage, all of your bills. And so, yeah, it does take the joy out of it. I get what you guys are saying there. You know, when you made that decision, I mean, how long in that process did it kind of take for you to line up whatever you were going to do next? I mean, was this like something you planned out over a few months or was there an opportunity that kind of landed in your lap? What did that look like? Uh, Yeah, so it was a few month process. It took me a little bit of time to actually start putting out applications. I really didn't want to switch. I was kind of, you know, feeling like I failed and that I didn't, you know, do what I wanted to do. And it was really hard for me to kind of be like, okay, but you need to like do something for yourself and make sure that you're taking care of yourself. So it did take me probably a few months before I even decided to put out applications. And then from there, it was a few months of, you know, trying to figure out what the right thing was. And I was super picky in the job market because I knew that I could still make money for myself, which was definitely a benefit because I was able to find something I really wanted versus having to just take something that fell in my lap. So that was really nice, but it did take a little bit of time because I wasn't willing to just take something since I did have a business that I could run if I wanted to. The ability to be discerning and being able to to pick where you wanted to go was a huge help uh, just to your overall well-being and, men- and mental health because have, having choices and having that freedom to make your life easier is a wonderful thing. Yeah, I agree. Do you feel like now that you're not relying on reselling as full-time income, do you feel like some of the joy has come back into it? So that's hard to say. For us right now, time is is the issue. So we have struggled a lot with the transition to part-time. And, you know, we still do a lot of content creation, which takes a lot of time as well. And finding the joy has been a struggle because we haven't really had the time that we needed to, like, get back into things. Uh, like, for example, I haven't been to a thrift store in maybe two months I've been doing mail uh, inventory instead of going to the thrift store because I just I haven't been able to do that and so it's still been a balance it's a balancing act but we'll get there we'll we'll get to that point we have been admittedly a little bit distracted with other hobby activities because it's finally (laughs) been nice outside so we've been active and outside rather than focused on the things that we probably should be focused on I'm I'm thinking that the joy has come back because I am personally itching and, and raring to go back into a thrift store and see what kind of treasures I can find. And it's something I very much miss. Well, I don't think it's the worst thing in the world that you guys are going outside. That actually sounds wonderful. And I wish I could be outside more. So yeah, I guess soak that up while you can. 
bringing us, I, I guess that kind of brings us current day at this point. So my next question for you would be, where are you guys selling currently? What platforms do you sell on or have you sold on and maybe don't sell on anymore? What does it look like for you? Uh, so for us right now, we currently are on Poshmark and eBay. We just recently stopped selling on Macari. We had a lot of drama over there. Don't need to get into all that. But I found that Macari was not worth the effort we were putting in. We were really only making about three to five sales a month anyway. Um, so we stopped that. But Poshmark and eBay, we're still pretty strong on. We've tried Depop, but I, I, I think I might be too old for Depop. I, I couldn't figure it out. <laughs> I, I think that's fair. I think you've had one sale that, well, one sale that hasn't backed out on Depop. And then uh, Macari, I am in a never ending feud with because I will never forgive them. Uh, Potmark and, and eBay are the the only place to be right now. Although I am a little bit concerned about the promoted listings that Poshmark is testing. Yeah. Uh, well, and, and thinking about the platforms that you sell on I'm curious do you guys still primarily sell clothing or women's clothing only or have you diversified do you sell other things uh, so it's mostly men's and women's clothing um as we said before we do have a little bit of dvds but just not as much as we want uh, we uh, of course do shoes because you gotta shoe if you're gonna do clothing you gotta do shoes and we have random hard goods i've tried here and there to pick things up so like i have like a mickey mouse statue that's getting a ton of interest on ebay and like random things but it's mostly just clothing that's what we seem to find the most of yeah i think we we go through bouts of trying to learn new categories and we have middle middling success so we've tried books and we sold a few of them video game books are great uh they sell for, for pretty decent money but I don't think we find enough volume and we're always a little bit out of our element as we go back to our, our core categories because that's where we're comfortable and, and that's where we find more things. Yeah, you guys have mentioned DVDs a couple of times now. So talk to me about DVDs because I'm curious about that. You know, I, I would think that's maybe not so popular, right? Because people are streaming shows a lot but then I guess in my mind I'm also thinking well they're probably making less DVDs now so maybe that's more desirable for the people who want to watch DVDs talk to me about the market on DVDs you mentioned that it's competitive in your area so it must be profitable oh yes um I mean if you're gonna do DVDs you're definitely looking for seasons of TV shows that's the first thing that I would look for People are looking for seasons because they don't trust that the platforms are going to keep them. You know, Netflix rotates what shows are staying on and off. Even some shows that are streaming, we've sold for good money. I mean, some streaming shows you can still sell for like $80. So you're you're looking at pretty good money. And thrift stores usually price them between 3 and $5. So it's a really great margin there. And they're really easy to look up. You don't really have to memorize a lot because you can just scan them on your phone through the eBay app. So it's super easy to do. I mean, there are certain things you can look for, like Acorn type DVDs or Seasons again, but there's plenty of things you can look at, but it's super simple to just scan them. So it's a really easy category to learn and it's really easy to do. It's just, it's very competitive. Well, I know for a fact that our best ever single sale is a DVD set and it's the Great British Bake Show. Uh, it sold for six hundred and fifty dollars uh, a set what? of five. So wow. 
serious, serious money in the DVD category. You're looking for Acorn, BBC, box sets, and uh, BB, uh, the Great British Bake Show is streaming on Netflix, but not the early seasons. So the early seasons are worth huge money. That's wild. I would have never thought of that show in particular. I mean, I know people love it, but $600, that's, yeah, that blows my mind. Well, that's interesting that you said seasons of TV shows, because I guess when I'm thinking about DVDs, right, I'm thinking about movies. I'm not necessarily thinking about TV shows. That makes a lot of sense. Like you mentioned, the streaming platforms are kind of always taking things off, putting things on. And I guess that can happen with movies as well but it's prop and you can purchase movies on some of these platforms but the tv shows are probably they probably cost more money i'm guessing if you went on to like apple tv and tried to buy a season of a tv show it's probably cost yeah quite a bit of money yeah they usually charge per episode if i remember correctly in a lot of these and some will do seasons but it would be like 20 bucks per season or something like that wow yeah okay that's crazy. Well, I'm now just already got the hamster wheel spinning in my head because we definitely have some box sets at home that nobody's watching that I'm thinking, huh, maybe we should sell them. Will my husband maybe notice? Just give it a yeah, it's <laughs> never, never hurts to break out the eBay app on your phone and use the barcode scanner and see what you can get for them because <laughs> you might be surprised. Yeah. Okay. I feel like everybody's going to do that after listening to this episode now. <laughs> <laughs> I know firsthand how exhausting it can be to manage all the tasks in my reselling business, like listing, bookkeeping, and more, but I've found a solution that has given me back my time and allowed me to grow my business, hiring a virtual assistant. And now I want to share that solution with you. That's why I've created an online course called Hiring a Virtual Assistant for Your Reselling Business. With this course, you'll learn everything you need to know to find, train, and manage a virtual assistant like a pro. And because I want to make this course accessible to everyone, I'm offering a special coupon code, flip the script that gives you $10 off at checkout. Don't miss out on this opportunity to take your reselling business to the next level. Sign up now at hiringava.com and let's enjoy the freedom and fun of growing our businesses together. Again, you can sign up at hiringava.com. Okay, so tell me about your guys' workspace and, you know, your business operation. Are you, do you have like a office space or storage unit? Do you work inside the home? Do you have a dedicated space? What does it look like? Yeah, so I have an office that when I was full-time reselling, it was completely dedicated to reselling. Um, Now it's kind of half reselling, half my work office. Um, And we have a bin inventory system in our house, admittedly not as organized as we'd like it to be, but it exists. And we are starting to transition to move some of it to our basement just to give us a little bit more room. But right now, everything is out of the house. We did contemplate doing a storage unit, but we just keep thinking when it snows, are we really going to want to drive to the storage unit? Because right now we still make daily sales and I just, I can't see myself driving to a storage unit in the snow. So as of right now, it's still in the house. Well, I think the the biggest detractor for that is the for the storage unit is definitely the the commute because my wife will not go outside in the snow for anything, <laughs> not not life saving treatment. She will not leave the house if it's snowing. So 
it's very much living in New England a non-starter to to move that out because if if that's the case, it's going to fall on my shoulders to to do everything, which I'm not very. No, I get it. I wouldn't want to go out in the snow either. And yeah, it's not fun. It just feels like you're ice skating out there in your car. So, <laughs> so the office that you referenced, that's an office inside your house that you work out of? Yep, I do. Got it. And the bin inventory system, you said that's in your garage? We have some in our office and some in the basement. Our, my, I've outgrown my office for inventory. So I've got a whole wall of bins in my office. And then I also have another like two walls of bins in my basement. Got it. You're so lucky to have a basement. How big is it? Uh, it's quite large. I, I don't know the square footage, but it's it's the whole span of my house. So it's quite large. <laughs> it's not finished, but it's that's fine for inventory storage. Isn't it funny what becomes like a reseller flex? Like to have a basement is such a flex. <laughs> uh, I, I guess. I mean, I I don't think I've lived in a house without a basement. Uh, that is that a New England thing, or um, potentially. I mean, you know, I think that newer homes that they are probably building in the past twenty years, they don't generally make them. But it also might be, again, going back to like state by state or geographic, depending on the area. They don't make, yeah, they don't make them as much in new homes where I'm at. Hmm. Well, no, right? <laughs> I, I know they definitely do not make them in the the South and Florida, Mississippi, et cetera. Uh, I think that's mostly for hurricanes, but. Right. That makes sense. Yeah. Like, or flooding. Yeah. Flooding is a huge issue in, in those areas yeah. as well. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Okay, so, you know, we kind of touched on some of the challenges that you guys are facing in your business. I mean, you've transitioned through some of them, right? One would have been going from full-time to part-time reselling, but now it kind of sounds like you're in this new area of figuring out what what does part-time reselling look like for you both. You know, I'm wondering... Shay and I guess Tyler as well, but Shay, just because you've fully switched positions, what does a balanced reselling, I don't know, schedule or I, I don't even know what the word would be. What does it look like for you? A balanced reselling life? <laughs> so, I mean, that's kind of a work in progress. So for me, I found that if I want to do a good reselling schedule, it needs to be reselling in the morning, getting, you know, all your listings up, getting all that done, and then transitioning to a workday. Luckily, my I work at home, so I am able to have kind of that nice flexibility there. And then, you know, we also do content creation. So that's also has to be during the day. And I basically end my my whole day at five. And if I have to extend beyond five, I my brain does start short circuiting. So I can't leave my reselling until after work. And that is that has been the challenge is making sure that I don't do that. But so it's definitely a understanding your own personal limits and being able to kind of know like, okay, this is the schedule that's going to work for me. Nothing else is going to work and maintaining that and keeping yourself accountable. And that has definitely been a challenge, but I think that we're getting much better at that aspect of it. It's just, we're just slowly starting to settle into a new schedule. And for you, Tyler, because you know, you were working 
during Shay's full-time reselling experience, do you feel like there's been a shift for you? Yes. So I, I find myself significantly more busy uh, with this. So I, I'm trying to pick up some of the slack as best I can. I've been the shipping department for forever, but having more autonomy and, and doing that without prompting and without poking me to, to get started is has been a work in progress. And I'm, I'm very much a sedentary. Uh, I will procrastinate and lays about type person. So it, it is a challenge to, to actually find the energy to actually do things that I'm supposed to do. <laughs> yeah. I think we right away that one of the biggest issues we had uh, transitioning was with shipping, we ended up having, I think it was like three or four returns in a row on Poshmark for mistakes that we made. And we realized really quickly that one of the things I did when I transitioned was I offloaded all of shipping onto him where I didn't review anything before I asked him to ship it. I didn't pull the items. I didn't look at the listings at all. And we made mistakes because that wasn't the process we originally had. So we had to be a little bit more explicit in what the process was and who was taking ownership. And that was definitely something we learned very quickly and unfortunately cost ourselves a little bit of money in the process, but it was, it was a good learning process. Yeah, no, I get what you're saying. I mean, sometimes you have to have those like little speed bumps, road bumps, whatever you want to call them, where, you you know, maybe it ends in a return or whatever, but then you learn and you get better. I do appreciate you, dear, not throwing me under the bus and (laughs) saying that it was entirely my fault because it was entirely my fault. (laughs) Well, you know, everybody gets one chance, Tyler. (laughs) I'm I'm at like seven or seven or eight. So... So you're like a, you're like a cat. You've got nine lives. Well, I'm on my last one then, I think. So. <laughs> well, it was nice knowing you. <laughs> All right. Well, thinking about, you know, we're still kind of in the early part of the year. I hate to think that we're approaching June and, and, and uh, 2023 could be half over, but you know, looking at the rest of the year or even maybe forecasting the next couple of years of your business where do you guys see the future of your business, reselling, content creation? Where do you see the future of it all going? So ideally for me, and this may be different than Tyler, so I'll let him speak too. But for me, I would like to go back full time, but I would like it to be more focused on teaching side of it versus just selling. So I did a lot of thinking when I transitioned to part-time of, you know, if I were to scale this, what would that look like? And what would I want to be doing? And I realized really quickly that I didn't want to scale into like have a warehouse or maybe have a store or any of that. That didn't really feel like something that I was excited about. And it wasn't something that I thought I would want to do long-term, but I did really want to help other people, whether that meant, you know, just being a supportive person or teaching or creating content for people or whatever that looked like. I really, really, really enjoy that. And so that's kind of where I want to end up. I want to find a a space to do that. And I don't fully know what that looks like yet, but I realized that that's not something I can just do. I can't just make that decision. That's, that takes time to build. So, you know, going into part-time is freed me up to kind of make that decision that that's something I want to focus on versus just fully focusing on making sure that I get my listings up every single day and get to the thrift store. I'm now able to kind of be like, I really enjoy teaching people. I really enjoy building community. And I think 
that's something that I really want to focus on. I think that there's, there's a need for people in the space that aren't looking to just make money off of people. So I think it, it's something I really want to do. And I think that's where I'm going to kind of push towards for the next few years. And do you see that being, you know, when you say teaching, is that one-on-one coaching you see that being like a course like or is it just through content creation like youtube instagram whatever else so that's kind of hard because i've tried all different types of things right now it's youtube and i really really love it um we have a group that we work with people on facebook and i really like helping people one-on-one as well i do realize that i'm only one person and there's only so much of that that can be done so i'm not sure fully what that would look like long term but I do want to have a little bit more interaction one-on-one if possible. But if I can build out, like we're going to be building out a talk show that's going to be really soon. And if we can build that out where we can have other members of the community come in and help teach where we're not as you know big experts on, I think that'll be a really great space. And I think it'll be a really encouraging and optimistic space. So and kind of looking towards that versus you know coaching. I don't really love the idea of selling a course or any of that kind of stuff that's just just not me, but something more personal. For for me, I very much would like to to balance the content creation and the reselling uh, to create freedom of time. So I don't really want to get to a point where I'm making obscene amounts of money. I would like to be comfortable enough with the reselling and the content creation that I have the freedom to take a day for myself or not feel guilty for going on vacation and then just enjoying enjoying my life and rather than having to go to an office on a regular basis yeah that makes sense I think that I don't know I mean I can relate to that in in thinking like yeah just wanting to get a to a place where you are comfortable financially where you're not having to work like a dog (laughs) and, uh, uh, you know, worry about amassing large amounts of money. It's just, yeah, you want to, you want to do your job, you want to enjoy it. And then you want to be able to also enjoy the fruits of your labor. I think that makes sense. Yeah. And a talk show sounds cool. That sounds fun. Yeah. I mean, I, we kind of like looked around trying to think of like, what do we think that the reselling community is missing? And I want to do a positive talk show. No, no drama, no, nothing like that. But just positive things, because I think that a lot of what's missing in the community is just being supportive and letting people know, like, hey, you can do things however you want, and you can still be successful. And we're all in this together and all experiencing struggles and all of that. None of us are perfect. And being able to show that, I feel like on that kind of format, where people can come in and talk and talk about what they're good at, what they enjoy or what they're struggling with. And seeing that every single week, I think that I think it'll be really fun and a really good place for other people to kind of, you know, come and get that encouragement they need each week. Yeah, I agree. No, I think that would be really cool to watch. Yeah. And a weekly format. That sounds doable. <laughs> I'm like a daily <laughs> format sounds very challenging, but a weekly that that definitely sounds like something you guys can handle. Well, I guess my last question for you guys is, you know, looking back at your journey these past three, four years in reselling, you know, the couponing kind of brought you into reselling. What advice would you have given yourselves when you were first starting out? I think for me, I would say, don't compare yourself to anybody else. I very early on fell into the trap of 
comparing myself to, you know, maybe people that were posting or maybe people that I ran into in a thrift store, all different things. And it, it discouraged me so much and derailed my business so many times because I just kept thinking if they're doing this, why can't I? And why, why am I not as good as them? And it's such a, such a losing game. So I would absolutely tell myself, you know, know your own journey, do things your own way and you will get there. And it might be a different road. It might be through a different category. I mean, my category is pants. I don't know any other reseller that says that. So you just find your own way and you find your own niche and you find the way that it works for you. And I, I really wish I knew that back then. Yeah, I very much agree with not comparing yourself and success means something different for each person. Your success does not mean that someone else that has a different goal in mind is not also successful. It's just different. Uh, I, I very much wish I could have encouraged myself to make minor mistakes a little bit more easily and and not get, not beat myself up about it. Buying, buying a $3 item that you're not sure on is a $3 mistake. Potentially that's not going to be the end of the world. And that the only way that you're going to learn is to, to get in there and try. And if, and if you try and fail, then you you've learned the lesson and you'll know better for next time. Uh, Also start, start in pants because we, we sell a lot of pants. <laughs> okay. Well, but what about, what is it about pants? Like what are, if you guys go into a thrift store and you're going to the pants section, where, like what means striking gold for you in pants? Well, Mason Margella is the first one I think of. Cause that, that was my, one of my biggest pants finds. I was so surprised, but you know, any kind of like elastic waistband pants, if you're looking at Eileen Fisher, anthropology, anything, they're so cheap. The pants category is like three to $5 and you can flip them for anywhere from like 30 to $50. I, I mean, I never leave the pants section without like 15 to 20 pairs of pants. It's wonderful. And nobody's ever in it. So it's nice and quiet. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. I think that's the biggest thing. It's we were drawn to that because it was no one was there and we were free to spend more time there learning the category when we were new. And then, yeah, when we started, it was significant. It was the lowest price part of the entire thrift store was the, the pants section. It was two, three dollars. You'd find anthropology for three dollars. You'd find uh, St. John. You'd find all of these great things that are being passed over. Yeah, no, I I get what you're saying. You know, you guys mentioned finding your niche, you know, is something that you would have told yourself when you're first starting out. And I do think that that's important. And everybody is, is going to be kind of different. And I think I'm curious if you will agree with this, but do you think finding your niche also means sell what you love or sell what you enjoy selling? Absolutely. I mean, I think, I think we also get confused with selling what you love and thinking that like you have to love it for yourself. But I, I feel like I love selling pants because I, I love the fact that I can be just alone in the section. I don't have to worry about it and I can go slow and I can look things up on my phone and it's, it's just, it's a much more calming experience for me. And it's also so easy to list, but I don't necessarily ever purchase them for myself for any reason. So you can love what you sell without loving it for yourself. And I think that's something we forget a lot, but for sure, definitely sell what brings you joy, what you're excited to list, because if you're not excited to list it, you will have a death pile. And for my wife, that is also ugly sweaters because she, she will wear those consistently. (laughs) 
Well, I mean, you know, a good ugly sweater. You got to have a small collection of them. Um, <laughs> and I like what you said, Tyler, about allowing for mistakes, because I think that people get so caught up in, you know, doing everything right when they first start out. And that if you mess something up once, for instance, as you mentioned earlier, shipping the wrong item to the wrong person or purchaser, whatever, you know, a lot of times for people, especially when they're starting a new platform, that will be the first and last instance for them, meaning they're not going to sell on that platform anymore. And I think it's important to kind of know that when you start each new part of reselling, right, those mistakes are going to be natural. I mean, do you feel that way that it's like you kind of have to push through those first few transactions? I I think there is some level of pushing through that because no one is ever going to start off perfect at what they're doing and allowing yourself to make a few mistakes and learning from them and moving past them is, is a part of life, not just for reselling mm-hmm. run the risk of falling into the trap of the paralysis of analysis. You're, you're so in your head about making that mistake that you, you can't move forward and you can't move on to the next thing. And you're missing out on those other possibly better opportunities because of that. Yeah, I I completely agree with you. Yeah, you don't want to cut yourself off too early from what might end up being your best-selling platform or your best-selling item or whatever it might be. Uh, and then lastly, Shay, what you said about not comparing yourself, I think that just that's something people commonly will give that answer to this question because I think too often anybody who finds reselling through the you know, online community that exists, you know, it's easy to fall into that trap of comparing your journey uh, to somebody else's. And, you know, there's, I don't know, all the different quotes that are out there, but they'll say like, don't compare your day one to somebody else's day 4,000. And I think it's important to remember that, but we don't, we don't always think it in the moment, right? All we see is oh, wow, they went thrifting today and look at all these great brands they got. And I went thrifting for even longer than they did today. And I left empty handed. Do you feel like that's just like a pitfall that people fall into? Yeah. I mean, I remember specifically one time I saw a post that said that you should never have a no sales day. Like that's not supposed to happen. And I Mm. really early on in my journey. And I remember thinking to myself, well, I don't, I don't know what's wrong with me then. I mean, I definitely had a no sales day and I, and I thought I was doing well. Like I thought I was kind of picking up steam. And I remember going to my husband and saying, well, I mean, I have a no sales day. So I guess like that means I'm a failure. Like that means that I'm not doing it. And he's like, no. And people that say things like that, they're, they're trying to make things sound, you know, better than they are. Remember that they might be, as you said, day 4,000 in their journey. And they're not remembering that there are people that are in the beginning. You're in year one, like just, you know, it's okay. It's going to be okay. And I just remember that, that kind of stayed in my head for quite a while. And it was, you know, we all do it. We all just kind of sit there and compare ourselves, even when we don't want to. I still do it now. I know I do it. It's just horrible, but we all do it. Yeah, it is tough. I think that's the moment when you have to tell yourself like, uh, a little bit less social media this week. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> or you could just adopt my method, which is no social media ever under any circumstances. I'm basically invisible. I mean, Tyler, that's not the worst route to go. 
<laughs> I like it. We could all learn something from you. Maybe that's the <laughs> advice is no social media. Go back in your journey and erase all of it. Well, a little bit, you know, enough to tune into your guys' YouTube channel, right? Exactly. Yes. Just enough for that. Shit, just shit. enough for that that in this podcast so there we YouTube go YouTube and podcast let's do that yeah there we go <laughs> well this has been so much fun you guys thank you so much for sitting down and talking with me today I am so happy that we got to get this scheduled and yeah you know the magic of dms right exactly thank you so much for having us we really enjoyed it it was such a such a fun time Oh, my absolute pleasure. Well, I will talk with you soon, guys. Bye. 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 Thanks again to Shay and Tyler for being on this week's episode of the podcast. Again, you can find Shay and Tyler on Instagram under the username in my 30s spending under 30. And all of that information will be in the show notes of this episode for you. Thank you again to everyone who's been listening to the podcast since its return. I really do appreciate your support as this show runs on listener support. There are many different ways you can support the podcast, but the easiest and free way is to leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. I love reading everyone's messages, and I thought it would be fun to be able to share those messages in future episodes. So moving forward, I'd like to thank you all on air. So if you leave a review, I'm going to try and compile those and read them on a future episode. And if you'd like a shout out, leave your social media handle in your review. Again, thank you to everyone who's taken the time out already to support the podcast in one way or another. So until next week, keep on listing and keep on selling.